0: Some of the stories may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, and Niche at Pearl. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. I'm Tori Poole. This is the first part of the live storytelling event recorded at the Irma and Emilio Nicolás Media Center at Texas Public Radio in downtown San Antonio. The theme was taught, stories about life's little glorious lessons we haven't quite forgotten. Can you think of a life lesson you still remember? The first storyteller is Don Mathis. Don shares a story about a teacher's lesson that didn't quite age well.
1: It was 1962, about the time I learned to think, the year before JFK. I was an army brat over at Fort Sam Houston, Robert G. Cole Junior Senior High School. And I had a teacher that year. His name was Mr. Reading, a very appropriate name for a reading teacher. So, Robert G. Cole Junior Senior High School, there was, well, we were all military dependents. I was the son of a sergeant. And everybody's dad, everybody's dad would move every two years. Might be a different city or a new state, sometimes a foreign country. But but we were, we didn't have a community. We would constantly be on the move. But Mr. Reading made a community for us and gave us a sense of belonging. He had a a speed reading projector. I don't think they make those anymore. Every every week he would increase the, the number of words per minute that the text would flash by. And so, so, you know, we'd start at 80, 90, 100 words a minute, and it was difficult, it was challenging. It was effective, it was a good way to learn to read. He taught us, he taught us how to read and what to read for, he said, we read, the Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Yeah. And the lottery, the winner of the lottery is not get a prize. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Well, I kind of read between the lines. For me, the draft was way, way far away. Six years away, it was just non-existent for me. But it's this, that story stayed with me. Another story, Ambrose Bierce, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah, a a, a war story. The, the, The guy's a prisoner of war, but it's a story also of life and death and war. Another premonition of the Vietnam War, which is just ahead for me. So, Mr. Reading, well, sometimes... You know, it was, you know, about irony and symbolism and foreshadowing, but then other times he was just out of the blue. One day he talked about what to do if a, if a guy bullies you. If, if a guy hits you, he says, you just hit him back. And I said, oh, well, that makes sense to me. I didn't have to write that down. And so a, a week later, a week later, I'm sitting in a classroom and this guy behind me, he thumps to the back of my head, and I try to ignore it, and he pulls my hair, and I ignored it, and he slaps my neck, and I, I tell him to stop it. But every time Mr. Reading had his back turned, the guy would do it again. So I remember the lesson from the week before, and I just turned around, and I smacked the guy. How did, it was a loud, fleshy smack. The whole class heard it. Mr. Reading, hears the commotion. He turns around. What's going on? The bully. This is the bully. He was a freckle-faced kid, sandy hair. He bullied everybody everywhere in the bathrooms, in the hallways, the playground. He might give you a wet willy in the air or wedge you in your underwear. Push your face in the water fountain, trip you on the playground. Mr. Reading, th- this guy just turned around and smacked me in the face for no reason. And Mr. Reading, well, he wanted to... To get both sides of the story well why'd you smack him i said well i remember your story about how to deal with a bully he kind of smiled at himself and as if to resolve i'll never teach that lesson again so he couldn't send us to the principal's office because he would be implicated that's for sure <laughs> So uh, he resolved it right there in the classroom. He made me and the menace shake hands and apologize to each other and then neither one of us meant it. But you know what? That guy never bullied me again. <laughs> so so there was, there was a lot of lessons that um one of the lessons is just to stay open for new learning experiences. About ten years later. I went um there was another bully in my life and and um uh, but this situation was different this bully had his buddies with him I went to pick up my girlfriend at her house and and her big brothers were there and I guess they were feeling protective of little sister she said she was 18 but I maybe she wasn't but uh, I got the impression these guys really didn't think I was going to respect her in the morning, or that uh, that my affection was not honest or something. But uh, and I was just you know trying to explain, but I didn't even see the first punch coming. I didn't see it. I saw the second punch coming. <laughs> the second punch came out of my left eye as I was falling to the ground. I'm there on the ground. I passed out. Maybe I fainted. Maybe I was knocked unconscious. I I woke up, and they were still kicking me. And I, oh, man, I just had to creep away from that. And so I think, well, sometimes sometimes it's better to crawl away than to stand your ground. So uh, the girlfriend, she put the Band-Aids on it and kissed the bruises and made it all better. And that's... That was another learning experience. Maybe sometimes getting your ass kicked is worth it. (laughs) But I'll never forget Mr. Reading. May the learning experiences never end. Thank you.
0: Mr. Reading left a bigger impression than those bullies. We're glad Don got the girl know someone with a great story? Tell them about Worth Repeating. Worth Repeating is now accepting submissions for the live event in March on the topic, Savor. Restauranteurs, chefs, and more are encouraged to submit their best kitchen stories and the stories behind the dishes that last. Savor is sure to be a delectable evening, so submit today by visiting tpr.org wr.
1: This program was made possible with support from the 8020 Foundation, striving to transform San Antonio by issuing grants to public charities that attract, grow and retain San Antonio's future workforce. For this and more information, visit 8020foundation.com.
0: Our next storyteller is Nasserine Nikki Allen. Nikki shares a story about the peace she found in breath.
2: So it's around 1pm and I feel another sensation from my contractions coming on and I'm in active labor at this point. I just go into my body. That's the only place I can go. I find my breath. I take a big inhale in and a long sigh out. But my labor actually began around 3 in the morning. I woke up, which was not unusual, right? Because pregnant women, even really early on, are waking up every night to pee. So this was different, though. When I woke up, um, I noticed that I was wet. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't pee my pants, right? But I also noticed um, I was having a contraction. And I'd been having Braxton Hicks, right? But this felt different. This was not in the lower part of my belly. And it had been happening like right before bed when I was getting those. This was like an all-encompassing belly feel. And I was like, okay, interesting. Let me go check this out. So I went to the bathroom. And sure enough, my water had broke. So at that time, I think back, I'm like, all right, in the birthing class, The doula was actually telling us like it's so rare for labor to start with water breaking, but here was mine and I'm like, okay, so I'm having like a typical Hollywood birth, right? Here we go. So I smile to myself, I'm feeling a bit excited, but I don't want to wake my husband up just yet. I kind of want to gauge where I'm at. So I go and I lay back down and I just flow with it. I'm breathing, noticing, kind of timing. I can't really tell. I mean, I feel them like they seem to be getting closer together, which is what I want to happen, right? That means baby's closer to coming out. So about an hour later, so 4 a.m., I wake up my husband. I'm like, babe, babe, we're in labor. What do you mean we're in labor? Well, My water broke, and I've been having contractions now. And he's like, well, how far apart are they? What's happening? And I'm like, it's it's all right. Like, I haven't really been timing it, um, but I've been laying here, and they seem like they're getting closer together. So he's like, okay, so do we need to call the midwife yet? No. Mm -mm." So I get an app that I had already downloaded, and I start timing my contractions. I know at this point, right, I'm like, I'm ready. I am physically, mentally, spiritually ready for this. I've been preparing for this with yoga, with breath, with meditation, so I'm just, I'm chill. So, contraction starts, I hit the timer, I start to go in and out of sleep. I doze off, I'll wake up, and my contraction looks like it lasted 30 minutes. I'm like, no. Okay, I need to kind of stay awake. I need to see where I'm at. So finally, I reach a point where I'm awake, still excited though, and they're getting closer together. So I decide, let me call the midwife, let her know this is happening. So this is about 6.30 now. And she asks where I'm at. I think she could tell over the phone, my voice was excited. I wasn't in active labor yet, right? I'm in early stages. I'm like, woohoo! a baby and so she's like you know keep timing it Um, give us a call back in a little bit we want to look for so I I lived in Austin at the time so it's easy to remember the area code in Austin is 512 so contractions um, they're at least five minutes apart lasting for at least a minute and that's been happening for two hours so those are my magic numbers So I continue on, they start to get more intense. I can tell now because I'm no longer excited. And when it starts, I'm like, (gasps) okay, here we are, in. So right around nine o'clock, I call the midwife, another midwife on duty, let her know what's going on. She's like, okay, yeah, come in. So I go in, she checks me out. Um, At this time, about four centimeters. And she's like, we're not going to check you in just yet. You know, like, go out, walk around, maybe go home if you want to do that. I'm like, walk around? Are you crazy? Like, I'm not. Mm-mm. That would have been like. da da So we went home and I thought, I'm in for a marathon. I should probably try eating something at this point. And my husband was so sweet. He made food and he came up and. I'm like right before a contraction is starting, and I'm like, take that out. Mm-mm. And he is trying to preoccupy his time. So he puts it on YouTube, his favorite thing, right? And there's just people chattering because he likes to watch how these people live. And I'm like, Mm-mm. nope, turn that off. And there's this weird, like, Time comes together and apart and you're in this weird space when you get into active labor. So like that hour that I was at home flew by. And before I knew it, we were heading back into the birthing center. So she checks me in. She's like, ready to go. Do you want me to get a birth tub ready for you? Hell yes. Yes, I do. Thanks. So I hang out there. I'm ready. I'm envisioning at this point. I'm like, OK, I'm going to get into the room. It's calm and serene. I'm going to get into the tub. This is going to feel a lot better. I can breathe. It's going to be fine. So I get into the room. I get on the bed first because the contractions are really coming now. Um. Luckily, there was like a nice little ball that I could hold on to and just kind of like, oh, this is happening. And then I got into the tub. And it felt so amazing just to be in water and calm and with my breath. And then I reached a point rather quickly, I thought. I noticed within myself Oh, I don't know if I can continue. How long is this gonna take? I didn't go back to the birthing class in my mind and what the doula said about the different parts of labor, but now that I have the knowledge behind it, I was in transition. I was nearing the end. I fell asleep, I passed out. I didn't dream about anything. And I don't know how long I was asleep, and I woke up and suddenly I felt the urge to push which I thought was weird, because I'm like, I know first births usually take roughly about 24 hours. It hasn't been that long. So I tell my husband, I feel like I need to push. He's like, okay. So I start going with it. With each contraction, I start bearing down. They guide me out of the tub and onto the bed. I have that lovely ball that I can hold on to which is so great because when you're pushing, it's like you can just squeeze the ball. So not too long into pushing, maybe 15 minutes or so, I felt the ring of fire. This was the most painful sensation as my daughter was crowning and the midwife said, we see her head, do you wanna reach back and touch it? Nope, let's get her out. So about two more pushes later, my daughter's out. I reach underneath me. I pull her to my chest and turn around and lay down and bask in the glow of all the oxytocin that is flowing through my body and how amazing I feel that I just did this. And I wanted every woman to feel that magic. So that's why I continued on with this journey. And that's why I teach women prenatal yoga, and I'm a birth doula.
0: Nikki's story proves there's power in breath. Worth Repeating returns February 13th, and the theme is reset. From second chances to starting all over, these stories are all about restoration. Begin again with us by grabbing tickets today by visiting tpr.org wr.
1: This program was made possible by the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, striving to enrich the quality of life of San Antonio residents and visitors by creating art programming and helping people experience art. For this and more information, visit getcreativesanantonio.com.
0: Our next storyteller is Tracy Shelton. Tracy shares a story about the comfort found in food.
3: So I'm a mom's mom. I know the who, what, when, where, why, how of everything that has to do with my children and often their friends. I, um, you know, I'm that mom that when there are are walnuts in the brownies or peanuts in the classroom, I kind of got to look at you a little bit. Now, I haven't always been that, had that deep commitment to the allergens that we're putting into the classroom. That happened after the birth of my last child, Theodore, my little gift from God. And that's actually the literal translation of his name. Unlike my other cherubs who were, had perfect Abgard scores, top in the charts, right? These kids Little Theodore was born with lots of medical issues to include a heart murmur and web vocal folds. I spent a lot of time at the doctor. And uh, so when this little kid got off the breast and started to eat table food and he was not acting like the other kids, I became concerned, right? This was a child who, when we would go to Chick-fil-A for a treat, he would turn beet red after eating two french fries. And there is the incident that took us to the next doctor, and that's when he ate a roll off my plate that also had salmon on it. The poor baby could not breathe. I was traumatized, scared to death. So to another doctor I went to get allergy testing. So if you've ever had allergy testing before, they start with the control. And so the control is designed to help you know that it's really true, that you have any particular allergies. My kid, the control was raised, and every allergen they tested him for was raised. So I was told he doesn't have allergies, because if he had allergies, everything wouldn't be raised that way, right? That didn't sound right to me because I had just had to revive this kid after, we ate, after he ate the roll, but okay. Now he'd also been having some problems with his digestion. So they did more tests and they said, oh, but he's got some eosinophils in his belly. So we're gonna give you this medicine and just be careful, everything will be okay. And um, so I did, we gave him the medicine and we went on our way. About a year later, my family had the opportunity to move to the center of Europe. We were thrilled to land in Brussels, Belgium at the end of summer and begin to explore. There was so much to do and see, and we could not wait to get into all of it. Now, behind finding a school for my little cherubs, the first thing that I had to do was find a doctor for my baby. How fortunate I was to find an amazing medical team. These folks read our reports from the U.S., They listened to our stories. They asked lots of questions, and then they tested him again. And what they found was, yeah, for sure, he's got allergies, and to the big ones, right? To the ones that we're scared to have in the classrooms, those are generally eggs, soy, peanuts, and he's anaphylactic, by the way, to fish. Who knew? Um, And they tested his gut, and they found that he had so many eosinophils inside of his belly that he was diagnosed with um, eosinophilia, which I know is a big old word for your gut's messed up and we got to get it fixed. So they they said, our approach is going to be different. It's going to be two-pronged. We're going to give you a little bit of medicine, but only for a little bit of time. And we're going to ask you to change the way you eat. We're going to heal this kid from the inside out. Now, If any of you guys have been to Europe, they live a little differently than we do. Definitely live differently than we did when we were home. Um, In Europe, there are not a lot of fast food places. So you're not finding, you know, McDonald's or Chick-fil-A on every corner. People go to restaurants for dinner when they're going out and they stay all night like all night, they get there at six, they'll leave at like 10 or 11. They eat, they drink, they have wine, they have great conversation. They're not turning over the tables there. It's a more relaxed um, environment and atmosphere. And they also shop local. They buy their food fresh, they go to markets, they walk where they're going. On my street alone in my little um, my little subdivision, Cryinam is where we lived, I had a butcher, a baker, no candlestick maker. <laughs> But I did have a pharmacist around the corner who did my compounding, and I I was a 15-minute walk from a local food market. I got to know these people very well because they were gonna be instrumental in helping me save this kid. We did it. We changed the way we ate. We ate fresh, we ate local, and my kid got better. We got off medicine, he felt better, Now, my big kids were sad because they were eating sun butter. But (laughs) other than that, all was well with the world. And it was important to me that I come back to the United States and I teach other people who didn't know like I didn't know about food and how to leverage food as medicine. In my mind's eye, it was workshops and hands-on programming. It was going to be so great, except I wasn't quite sure how. When we moved back to the United States, I had the privilege to start being a business advisor and coach, and so what does that mean, really? Um, I help folks develop, design, and implement the roadmap to their business's success. My initial clients, tons of them were, as luck would have it, food businesses, and they were stuck. Because they didn't have a commercial place to cook, they weren't able to move their business beyond a farmer's market. Ask me later why that's important to you, to what you buy and who you eat it from. Um, And so I thought, game change. I'm going to change my game plan. Now I'm going to solve their problem, which was a place for them to cook so that they could sell to the general public. And I'm going to leverage those people to help me teach other folks about food as medicine, what I learned with my Theodore, right? Brilliant plan. Except, uh, I'm really scared. And, and that's that fear was holding me back. I wasn't quite sure what to do. I didn't think that I could really do it. In my mind, it sounded great. And when I wrote it down, it looked amazing, but I couldn't figure out how to make it happen, I was doing research, that's what I told my boss. I was doing research and I found a program here in San Antonio that would teach you about how to start a food business. So under the auspice of... Don't blame us. Under the auspice of teaching, um, about of helping my clients, I took this this class. And um, the first thing they asked us to do was walk through the Venture Challenge. It had six modules. They asked us to do all the modules. I'm a firstborn child, and so I followed the rules. I did every module. I turned them in. I got feedback from my mentors. They challenged me. They asked me to do it better and different, and I did. And I was forced to be honest about what I was trying to do. It wasn't really research. It was a business that I wanted to start. The day that the Venture Challenge was due, oh, by the way, the Venture Challenge, you go and you pitch and they give you money if you win. So the day the Venture Challenge was due, my mentor said, are you going to apply? I said, no, not me. I was just following the rules. She said, do. And I did. At 11.58, it was due at midnight. I hit send and everything got uploaded. And then the next week they called me to pitch before the judges right? I did it. It was fun. It was super cool, but I still didn't think I could win because I was looking at the powerhouses that were competing against me. And my mentor asked me the next week to please come to the, the, the place where they would tell everybody who won. And I thought, my kid has a soccer game. So in my mom jeans, I ran over there because I also want to be a team player and to, to root on for the folks in my cohort and the other people that had participated. And guess whose name they called? Right? Tracy Shelton, Alamo Kitchens. And so up I go, I get the big check. How exciting! My community had said that what you're doing is important and what you're doing should be done and should be honored. And they gave me a lot of money to do it, woo So I get off the stage, I'm terrified because I've still got this fear and I haven't quite told my job, my boss that it's not research or my family, right? They think that I'm just doing this for my clients. And my friend Crystal said to me, so Tracy, congratulations. What are you gonna do with this money? To which I replied, with a lot of fear in my heart, but that fear was now pushing me forward. I guess we're gonna start a kitchen and teach people how to use food as medicine. Thank you.
0: All can be revealed with the right allergy test and a good second look. Worth Repeating is now a book. Trinity University Press and TPR are proud to present Worth Repeating, San Antonio Stories featuring 40 true narratives. Pick one up at the next live event, February 13th, or at your nearest book retailer. Your support funds programs like these.
1: This program was made possible by Niche at Pearl. More than clothing, Niche at Pearl features jewelry, accessories, and crafting events. For this and more information, visit nicheatpearl.com.
0: Our final storyteller is Kevin White. Kevin shares a story about how it takes a strong stomach to pass Spanish class.
4: When I was in my early teens, I had a less than exceptional educational record. Um, my parents decided they were going to send me off to military school. Um, the Military school they sent me to was in Port Gibson, Mississippi. This is on Highway 61, about 30 miles south of Vicksburg, right off the river. Um, the town motto was, too beautiful to burn, which was a quote <laughs> from Ulysses S. Grant. So. We'll just say it didn't have a lot going for it. So this was the mid 1980s. Um, At the time in that part of Mississippi and maybe all of Mississippi, the schools were still segregated. Um, This was done by very cheap private academies. Uh, The school that I went to had day students, um, you know, from the little town of Port Gibson, Um, I will say that the families and the day students were very happy with this arrangement. Um, They probably had a pretty good collection of white sheets and crosses somewhere in their house. Uh, So, anyhow, I was a boarding student. Uh, The boarding students were from normally big cities, you know, kind of progressive kids, Uh, got along really well with them. You know, another thing about this school. um, So we had a bonfire one time and uh, the commandant of cadets showed up dressed to this bonfire, dressed as a Nazi. Um, So, yeah, it was kind of a weird place. Now, also, this commandant of cadets, he had a large painting of John Wayne in a cavalry uniform behind his desk. Um, I was 14 years old, I got caught smoking. I was given the choice to either take a paddling or eat a cigarette. So um, I chose the paddling. Um, It seemed to be the least invasive of the (laughs) punishments. Um, So I went in there, Uh, the commandant made me grab the corner of his desk, look at the picture of john wayne in the calvary uniform and take it like a man um if he would hit me one more time i wouldn't have made it out there under my own power uh i will say the next time i got caught smoking i ate a cigarette so i had been going to school here for a year and a half um Really no improvements at all, so my parents decided they were going to quit spending their money and just let me come home Um, Now one of the classes I took was a Spanish class and um, I didn't get along was mainly day students in there and I I didn't really get along with the students and uh, The teacher was you know about the same. I think she was probably born in the 18 somethings um, and I so I just, I had this thing where anytime she would ask me a question, it didn't matter what the question was, if she looked at me and asked me a question, I would simply look at her with a very straight face and just reply, rojo. And after a while, she quit asking me questions. So anyway, uh, come near the end of the semester, I realize I'm making a 40 in this Spanish class. Now, the, the class is graded, half the Half the grade is the class and half the grade is the exam. So I'm making a 40 and um, I have to make a 100 on this final exam in order to pass this class. There is no way in hell this is happening. So sitting in my room, making a cheat sheet, trying to figure out how I'm gonna pass Spanish class, and um, sitting there with my roommate, we had an hour between exams and, and you know, my mom used to send me these uh, care packages with all sorts of food and stuff in it. And um, I was sitting there and I started to open up this food and I opened up, I think it was like a can of Spam. And uh, my roommate replied how bad it smelled and how gross it looked. And that's when the light bulb went off. Um, So I started pulling out, you know, packs of pudding, beanie weenies, just whatever and started opening these things up and just mashing them together. And I made just this grossest, I mean, you can imagine pudding and beans and weenies and some Spam, maybe a little Dr. Pepper in there, you know, <laughs> kind of mashed it up and just made the grossest concoction you could think of. So I took this and I put it in a potato chip bag, an open top potato chip bag. I poured it in there and I tried to tape it to the inside of my jacket. Well, it was pretty slimy, so the tape didn't stick. So, lo and behold, I had a stapler in my room. So I stapled this bag in my jacket. I grabbed my cheat sheet, and I headed off to Macomb Hall, three-story building built in the, I don't know, 1850s. It was our big school hall. Uh, the Spanish class was on the third floor. It was also the library. Uh, Spanish teacher was also the librarian. So I made it up to class. Um, Sat down in the back of this kind of unventilated, dark classroom and uh, started taking my test. So the whole plan was going through my head. I'm just going to squeeze a little bit of this stuff out and, um, you know, get sick. And uh, I'm going to walk out in the hall and I'm going to use my cheat sheet and I'm going to pass this exam, you know. So... I kind of started making these little noises, like, oh, oh, you know? And I leaned over and I squeezed and I squeezed a little bit of this out and nobody noticed, you know? I was like in the back of the classroom and no one even noticed what I was doing. So I was like, well shit, I better try a little harder. So I started heaving and hurling and I bent over and I squeezed this bag. And when I squeezed this bag, this stuff went everywhere. It went all over me, my desk, the person in front of me. It was horrid. Um, The girl in front of me immediately started getting sick. Another girl in the classroom started getting sick. These girls were fighting to get to a trash can and getting sick on the floor. We had some guys that were trying to open windows, these ancient windows. That wasn't working. So I just... In the heat of it all, without thinking, I just kind of did this motion with my hands, like, oh, shit. And I got this stuff all over my hair. Now, Miss Bobbitt, at this point, was screaming so loud for us to get out of the classroom. So we did. We got out of the classroom, those of us that were sick and sick. And um, there was a race down three flights of stairs to make it to a toilet, a trash can, something. And uh, they went for the bathroom, and I, at this point, I'm just like, well, screw it. I'm covered. So I went back to my dorm room. I changed clothes, got cleaned up, headed back up to the classroom. I got it back into the classroom. The janitor had come in, kind of cleaned everything up. The chaos was down. And when I got there, I realized I don't have my cheat sheet anymore because it was in my other clothes. And... um <laughs> So, you know, I felt, well, shit, I won the battle, but I may just lose the war. And (laughs) I I started just trying to fill out this test and accept defeat, you know. And um, I looked down, and the janitor had missed. There was just this little piece of this fake puke on my desk. So I kept filling out answers, you know, like everything. And then I just took it, and I put it on the bottom corner of the test. I went and handed it to Miss Bobbitt. She grabbed this test by the corner. This woman was young, or I, I thought she was 50 years younger the way she hit me with that test and knocked it out of my hand, told me to get out of there, come back between exams and just take the test. So I left. Most people probably would have studied. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I was laughing too hard. So the next day, before the last exam, I went in there 20 minutes before the, the last exam of the semester and told Miss Bobbitt, hey, I'm here you know, to take the exam. She said, well, fill out everything you can in 20 minutes, and I'll grade that. So I answered every answer that I knew, and I handed her that test. I made 100 on my exam, and I passed Spanish in the ninth grade. You know, sometimes I feel bad about it, Um, but then I really think back to the reactions of those day students, and it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, You know, I I never really told this story to anyone, and unfortunately, I'm not in contact with anyone that I went to school with back then. But the lesson I learned, you know, if you're going to be in a room full of jackasses, you better be resourceful. Thank you.
0: (laughs) We hope Kevin learned his lesson and maybe a touch of Spanish. That's it for the Worth Repeating Podcast. Do us a favor and give us a like, subscribe or review us wherever you stream podcasts. Stay tuned for part two of the live event on the Theme Taught, streaming everywhere you stream the best podcasts on January 2nd. It's the perfect way to start the new year. Support for Worth Repeating comes from the 8020 Foundation, the City of San Antonio Department of Arts and Culture, and Niche at Pearl. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Tori Poole. Thanks for listening.